0: So many children being raised and taught that there is hope in Christ. We praise God for that. So, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, be finding Psalm 110. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Psalm 110. Verses 1 through 3, we're interrupting our series in Genesis to do this, but this is a special Sunday. And uh, this passage is unique. For example, it is this passage, especially verse 1, is quoted in the early church fathers, and by that I mean uh, after the apostles died, the pastors and the the writers and the defenders of the faith and the evangelists they would write and they quote this verse Psalm 110 verse 1 more than any other Old Testament verse this seemed to be the most popular for the early fathers, the church fathers another feature of it is that this verse this passage is the most quoted verse in the New Testament the New Testament writers quote Psalm 110 verse 1 let me give you a couple of examples peter on the day of pentecost acts 2 32 says, this Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear. Acts 2 verse 34. For David did not ascend to heaven, but David himself says... Now, notice, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Well, that's exactly the quote of David in Psalm 110, verse 1. Peter, in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, quotes this verse. That was his text. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13, the writer showing the superiority of Christ to angels, and he said, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He proves the superiority of Christ over all the angels by quoting this verse. God never told an angel to sit at his right hand till his enemies were at his footstool. And in Ephesians 1.20, Paul says he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places uh, far above all authority and power and dominion. There is, in the New Testament, quoting Psalm 110 verse 1, the writers, the apostles, the evangelists, say that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and that there is nothing that is not under His authority. So that's comforting today, that Jesus is Lord, that is the message. So in the New Testament and in church history, this text was famous and comforting. If I said to you, what what would you say is the most famous New Testament text? What would you say? John 3.16. Well, in the early church, this was the John 3.16 of the early church fathers and the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. So let's give it some publicity this morning. Let's look at it and see what we can derive from it. The first phrase, The Lord said to my Lord. Let's look at that. The first thing you'll notice about this, I'll point it out to you if you didn't see it, is that the the Lord is in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the Lord said to my Lord... Now, all your translations should have small O-R-D, capital L, but small O-R-D. You see that? So the Lord said to my Lord... Those are two different Hebrew words. Jehovah, the Lord Jehovah, said to my Lord... David's talking here Adonai sit at my right hand this is the father Jehovah says to the son Adonai sit at my right hand and David calls the Messiah here his lord 900 years before Jesus was born, David overheard a conversation between the Father and the Son that the Father was going to have the Son ascend and be enthroned at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and earth. Now Jesus in his final week of life was interacting with the Pharisees and They were trying to trap him with questions. And uh, after a few questions, Jesus turned to them in Matthew 22 and verse 42. and, And Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? In other words, who did he descend from? When he says son, he means, who did he come from? What's the family tree? And they said, well, he's the son of David. He descended from David. That was common knowledge. The predictions of the Old Testament is the Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah, which is in, in through David. So Jesus then says to the Pharisees, Matthew twenty two forty three. 43. He said to them then, How is it then that David, by the Holy Spirit, calls him his Lord? The Lord, and he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till your enemies are under your feet. If David calls him Lord... How is he his son? Jesus said to the Pharisee. So the Messiah was to be a descendant of David. Then why does David in Psalm 110 call him Lord? Now, I mean, most of y'all know that Bud is my son. And... um, I can't ever remember calling him Lord. We've given Bud a few names over the years. Bud, Bubby Bonzo's, Bubby Banana Bones. I have no idea where they came from. But I think that would be a good one to refer to, Bud, as Bubby Banana Bones. uh, Would you lead us in prayer? I've called him dork. But, you know, and I was thinking about this. I have never one time ever called him Lord. Uh, Now, there's been times when he thought he was the Lord. So we had to correct that grievous error. So this is what Jesus is saying. He says, uh, why would David call his son 900 years later, the one who would be born from him, the Messiah? Why would he call him in Psalm 110 his Lord? And see, Jesus is teaching that the Messiah who was a descendant of David existed he was pre-existent he was the eternal son of God before he became the son of man he was in heaven with the father before he was on earth with Mary his mother the pre-existent Son of God. This famous text teaches that Jesus the Messiah who was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead lived and was eternal with the Father before he was ever born. And David saw it, heard it, recognized it, and called him his Lord. Listen to this verse. I want to give you this before I move from this point. But John 17, verse 4, Jesus is praying to the Father the final week of his life. John 17, 4. He said, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you Before the world existed. Now who can say that? What religious leader or prophet or messiah can say something like that? Father, restore to me the glory I had with you before the world existed. The pre-existence. Of Jesus Christ. That's what this famous text teaches. Let's look at the next phrase. The Lord, Jehovah, the Father, said to my Lord, Adonai, the Son, Sit at my right hand. Now what does that mean? What do we draw from that? Well, Jesus did not sit because he was tired. He sat because he was finished with his work. He had come and lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death for sinners, had been raised and enthroned, and there's nothing left to do to be saved but put faith in him. Hallelujah. See? The priesthood of the tabernacle under Moses had to stand daily. Every every morning in the Old Testament tabernacle, they brought a a lamb for sacrifice to the altar, and that was at 9 a.m., and then they brought another one every evening at 3 p.m. That went on day after day after day after day. There were no chairs in the tabernacle because there was no time to sit down. But listen to Hebrews 10:11. Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Can the church say amen? Amen. No more tedious rituals to be right with God. No more slaughtered lambs or bulls to find forgiveness. No more exhausting travels to Jerusalem to get to the place where God could be found. No, it is in the cross. And it is in the crucified, risen Christ. We simply look toward Him and in faith we are saved. Works are done. I love what the hymn writer said. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. So, when it says he sat, It is speaking of full atonement. So this text, this famous text from the first century church that David has written says that it speaks of the pre-existent life of Christ and it speaks of the full atonement of Christ. One more thing. Notice he says, Sit at my right hand sit in my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. This speaks of the absolute power of Christ to rule and reign at his right hand. Two results are mentioned here. One, verse 2, the Lord will send forth from Zion your mighty scepter, And you will rule in the midst of your enemies. So here's a group. Enemies. And the Lord rules right in the midst of them. No matter if people reject Christ or forsake Christ or hate Christ, He's still the Lord of lords and King of kings. This speaks of that day when in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10... At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus truly is Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a day when there's not a single tongue that will not confess who Jesus is. We just, we're here ahead of time, man. We're, we're ahead of time. We're already on the train. But it not only speaks of this external subjection of enemies, but look at verse uh, 3. And your people, now notice this is not enemies. these are Your people will offer themselves freely. This is the English Standard Version. King, I like the King James Version here. It says, Psalm 110, verse 3, Your people will be willing in the day of your power. Willing in the day of power. Now, here's something I think will help us. What makes people willing? Why do they decide for Christ? Here's what I hear sometimes. If you will repent, God will change your life. I know, I know. I said the same thing in the early service, and people said, nodded, amen, that's right. But here's the thing if I could repent, I changed my own life. You see what he says in verse 3? Here's the key your people will offer them, will be willing when. In the day of your power, what must precede your decision and your repentance is His power. There's no no surprise that it was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell that people repented and believed in Christ and 3,000 were saved. See, it's the day of power that makes the people willing. They are not interested in the Bible, and all of a sudden there's an interest in the Bible. They do not love God, and all of a sudden they love God. They do not believe in Christ, but now they believe in Christ. What has happened? What made the difference? The Holy Spirit's power has come, and repentance is a fruit. Listen to... uh, Acts 5.31 God exalted him to his right hand there again quoting Psalm 110 it's all over the New Testament he exalted him to his right hand as a prince and a savior Acts 5.31 notice to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin he gives repentance you don't give repentance to him; he gives it to you. <laughs> you see that, that way, we don't have to fuss and nag. We can pray and fast, and God's Holy Spirit. There is no power that can resist the risen, ascended power of the of Christ. He's above all things. Do you think a puny human will in its stubborn resistance can stop the living God when He has raised Jesus from the dead? So you're going to stop Him? He's going to overwhelm you. He's going to overflow your resistance. And He's going to draw you in such a way He will win in the end. I'm not talking about every single person because I don't know what God's got decreed for every single person. I'm just telling you that if you are here today to worship Christ, then the Holy Spirit has already been at work within your heart, or you'd never have shown up. Look at 2 Timothy 2.24. See, we don't have to fuss, nag. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach Get your facts straight. Get the verse straight. Patiently endure evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, notice God may perhaps grant them repentance. <laughs> that leads to a knowledge of the truth. He may grant repentance. See, what you do is, if you say, well, Pastor, I just don't don't have a heart for God, then you know what you do? You pray to to God to give you the power of Christ by the Holy Spirit to turn your heart, to turn your affections, and to stir you to love Him. You pray for it. The proof that Christ has resurrected and ascended into heaven and is enthroned above all, is right there, verse 3. After it talks about the ascension, it says, your people will offer themselves willingly in the day of your power. We offer, he, actually he uses the image, uh, he says, in holy garments they will come. Um, when a priest would get ready to, do, to serve, he would put on his holy garments. So it speaks of readiness that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. In the next phrase it says, From the womb of morning. The womb of morning, that indicates that like the freshness of morning. That's when you feel good and sun is shining and you're ready to go out. It's exciting. And, and then he says, uh, From the dew of youth. Dew, the, like uh, when you're young and it's refreshing. So what he's describing with these images is that when Christ comes by his Holy Spirit, you will be ready. You will have on the robes of readiness. You will be excited about the future and you will have the freshness of dew upon you. There will be an anointing, dear friend, and that all comes from the ascended Christ on your life. See, the, uh, any movement of the Spirit is proof. He reigns from heaven by His Spirit. There were some fathers, and uh, they were asking them, uh, when you're in your casket, and people look down and see you, they said, so what what do you want people to say? They asked this one father. He said, well, I I think when they look into my casket, I'd like for them to say that he was a good, good father. And They asked the next guy, what do you want them to say when they look into your casket? He said, well, I think when they look into my casket, I'd like for them to say he was a good husband. And They asked this third dad, and they said, what do you want them to say when they look into your casket? He said, I think I would like for them to look into my casket and say, look, he's moving. Amen. Look, he's moving. That means not only that he's alive, but that he's alive. He's the proof of him. His life and movement and activity is the proof of his life and movement and activity. You are the indications of the resurrection of Jesus today. So we praise him. What a wonderful text. A famous text, it speaks of the pre-existence of Christ, the full atonement of Christ, and the absolute power of Christ over his enemies and his people. Let's pray together. Ushers, you come and let's worship this risen Christ with tithes and offerings this morning. Heavenly Father, we can only praise you today because of your activity in our lives that has changed us, set us free to worship and serve. You, O God, are owed all praise and thanksgiving. We thank you. We worship you today with tithes and offerings through Jesus Christ.